Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. How are you doing? I'm great. Good. And I'm I'm a little nervous, but no, 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 no. I know that can you're I trying get, to like. Can I get a hell yeah? Because, <laughs> hell yeah. Hell yeah. Because this is an Alex story. He's gonna tell a story, and it's gonna yeah. be great, and you're gonna fucking love it. <laughs> um, and that's that on that. But no, can yeah. I just say I literally just walked in the door from work. I'm still wearing a goddamn bra. Can we? Can we take a moment? Can, can we, we pour can we pour one out for me wearing a bra right now? Yes, and we... also the realization that now all the episodes that you've listened to <laughs> no, have don't... been braless. No, 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 no. <laughs> don't put that in their brains. <laughs> I mean that's that was my first thought. I'm well, sorry. All right. But I listen. already poured out two for that occasion. Well, so... listen, here's here's the tea. We record from our apartment. If I'm not in my jammies, I'm not happy. Okay? So I'm, I'm mama needs no bra mama okay? needs my jammies and i <laughs> i just walked in the door and there's no jammies in sight it's it's fully work attire jeans and all hmm. well um, you look great thank you i feel you good I, I mean i you know other than the bra and the jeans i feel great i look good i know that so you you better believe it yep <laughs> Uh, I thought you were talking to me. I was like, yep, I'm here. Oh, no, not you. Still dating. I do think that you look good. (laughs) Okay, sick. Love (laughs) that. Um, Yeah, do we have any, like, news or anything? Um, Not really. I Um, actually, I have one thing that I wanted to. Yeah, go for it. Um, If you guys like listening to us talk uh, every week, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a little rate and review, you know? It It does help us out. And that actually is only something you should do if you like listening to us. If you don't... Forget I said a thing. Yeah. You know? If you don't, like, maybe don't. If you don't, then, like, why are you here, first of all? Second of all, keep listening, because you're you're great. I mean... Yeah, yeah but, but, like, it would be interesting. Like, you actively hate a podcast, but yet you, like, listen to it. You, like, hate it. listening like, to it? Question, why? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Maybe do something that makes you happy. Yeah. But um, we're going to move forward. Yeah. You know, I think that people like us. Trudging but, along. you know, it does help us if you leave a review. It definitely does. Um, yeah, but that's the only thing I have, so. That's it. A plea for ratings, please. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. thanks so much for listening. Have yeah, <laughs> and that's it. And that's all. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, this week, I'm telling it. Love that. So we'll see how this goes. It has been quite a while. Uh, I wanted to try it out this week, and there's oh, a yeah. story that I, I found very interesting. Yes. And uh, let's jump right in. We're excited. So today's story is about Dieter Dangler. Dieter Dangler. A German man. Yes. Very much. And he was born in Germany and grew up during World War II. Okay. What a time to be alive. Yeah. Very not good time to be alive, to be honest. And in Germany. And in Germany at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, His grandfather Mm -hmm. was the only person in their village to vote against Adolf Hitler. Oh, hell. Hell yeah. So a resistance, rebellious man um, from or lineage, really. And um, Dieter witnessed Allied bombing of his village as a child. Yeah. And this inspired him to want to become a pilot. Yes. So, I mean, the way that I, like, researched this, it was very strange. It was like, as a young boy, 
Dieter witnessed the bombing of his village and wanted to become a U.S. Air Force pilot. And I was like, while you're being bombed by U.S. Air Force pilots. But um, I think the backstory of his father not supporting the Nazis is important context to that point. Exactly. And um, so he was inspired to become a pilot and he emigrated to the U.S. to do just that. He enlisted in the Air Force, attending college, and finally graduated from the U.S. Aviation Navy Cadet Program, and he became an Air Force pilot. After graduation, he got further training as an attack pilot in the Douglas AV Sky Raider for the Vietnam War. Okay. So this is in 1965, I believe, and... This extra training specially equipped him to serve in the Vietnam War, and he was stationed off the coast of North Vietnam on the USS Ranger aircraft carrier. He was eventually assigned to a classified mission to bomb uh, strategic targets in North Vietnam. So the fateful mission was on February 1st, 1966 at 9 a.m. He and three other pilots took off in Douglas Sky Raiders from the USS Ranger. And they flew in formation at 10,000 feet for about 45 minutes before reaching their target to blow the shit up. Right. <laughs> basically. And as soon as they get to the target, another pilot like radioed to him and said, oh, there's an anti-aircraft battery at this road intersection. Like, that's our target. Okay. Like, let's get him. Yeah. And... So he Dieter began to dive low because he wanted to get low in order to like be more accurate with his like he's basically bombing. dropping bombs. Yeah. So with his bombing and as he's diving, the anti-aircraft artillery blasts his right wing in half. Oh shit. And another shell blew out his engine. Oh no. So he's kind of screwed. He yeah. pulls up and levels out the plane, drops his ordnance which is like his bombs, and blew up the anti-aircraft. Oh, okay. So they got artillery. him, but he got them back. Yes. Okay, sick. But oh, his plane is fucked. Right. So he starts to fall out of the sky. Oh, no. Does he got to shoot? <laughs> As he's falling, yeah. he's like, I'm not going to let my parachute go because if I do, I'll be a really easy target to shoot down because you're just floating. Exactly. So he decides not to pull his parachute and eject. Oh, we got some... Some shit is going down now. some emergency happening yeah. right now. <laughs> yes. And so on the way down, he's tossing classified material from his oh, plane. He said, you're not going to get this. Yeah. So it would be harder for them to find. And on the way down, he's like, I got to find somewhere. And there's a clearing about 300 feet wide that he like tries to steer himself towards. But remember, like he basically has one wing... His engine's gone, so he's really just trying to do what he can. Yeah. Um, He ends up hitting the ground. A tree took off the left part, or the left wing. Oh, no. Both wings gone. Both wings gone. It's just fuselage at this point. Mm -hmm. He flips end over end a couple times. I mean, he doesn't remember. Right. But he's like, you know, that's what happened. The cockpit dislodges from the rest of the fuselage, and he blacks out right? Right. As he should. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I mean, he pretty much lost his helmet, smacked his head and fell out of the sky. So he's not doing good. He only remembers waking up about a hundred, like his only memory is being a hundred feet from the crash, Wow! but he must have hobbled out of the cockpit 
and his immediate instinct is to get away from the wreckage because he's like, this is a beacon for the right. enemy to come get me, right? So he, you know, hobbles his way about a half mile from the crash until he kind of like stops and is like assessing what has just happened to him. And honestly, it seemed pretty lucky to me because if you fall out of the sky and have a plane crash where your fuselage flips end over end, um, he had a concussion, like his knee had a ballooning bruise. (laughs) But other than that, like his head was bloody. But like other than that, he's like alive and can walk. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, heads bleed a lot. So like even if you have like a little nick on your head, like you're going to be bleeding. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it wasn't just a little nick, but. Yeah, just but, a little nick. But yeah. uh, no, that's, that's very lucky. That's in, insanely lucky. Yeah, no shit. And I, I, I know that like, this is probably one of your worst nightmares is like a plane crash. <laughs> oh yeah. And my sister, every time my, uh, every, anytime we talk about a plane, just in general, I have to warn my younger sister and be like, Hey, don't listen to this episode. Cause you'll fucking hate it. <laughs> yeah. So Allie, <laughs> Allie maybe, just maybe not skip, this episode, skip a couple seconds. <laughs> So, as you're saying that he, you bleed a lot from your head, and then it was just a nick. Oh, no. (laughs) He's wiping his blood from his head, trying to, like, you know, contain that. And he finds a large shard of glass and removes it. Oh, no, no. That's a big nick. (laughs) Yeah. And um, he puts some twigs on his knee and tries to, like, basically make a splint for his knee. And, you know, like, honestly, that's kind of the extent of his injuries. In my opinion, pretty lucky. Yeah, definitely. Um, And there are bigger problems at hand because now he's most likely being hunted by enemy troops. And he's, like, what, in the jungle or something? Yeah, it's the jungle. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. So he landed in North Vietnam. Right. In the jungle. That alone is not great. (laughs) Not great. And he's like very much injured and bleeding. Exactly. So so he kind of like is assessing his plan. Like, what do I do now? And he's like, well, the U.S.'s closest ally in the region is Thailand, which is to the west, which means that he'll have to go through the rest of North Vietnam, Laos, and then into Thailand. But he thinks that this is exactly the path that they would expect him to take. Right. So he's like, little psychology you know yeah what is that called reverse psychology reverse psychology yes <laughs> he's like instead i'll head towards the north instead of west to the mekong river about 30 miles away i'll wait try and signal for rescue and if that doesn't work then i'll go west okay i get the i get the logic there so a little misdirection here from dieter a little one two from could you imagine a little one two <laughs> so yes a little one two and so he he go he moves forward with that plan um at night he tries to get some sleep in a sleeping bag but the mosquitoes are so persistent that he barely gets any sleep at all he has a sleeping bag does he have like a pack with him yeah i mean i'm sure that he he, like his parachute thing yeah he i'm sure that they like give them supplies sure that he pulled out of the wreckage he had a sleeping bag but got no sleep what he got no (laughs) crazy in the vietnam jungle with head injury and a bum knee no sleep come on dieter you pussy Yep. Uh, (laughs) So during the next day, he wakes up and continues through the jungle. Uh, He's actually spotted a few U.S. planes and attempted to signal to them without any luck because it's thick jungle. The jungle. Thick with three C's, dare I say? Yeah, probably. Mm. Maybe four. Shit. He was exhausted and made a big mistake right afterwards by following a beaten trail instead of like making his own way through the jungle because the trail is the most likely part of the jungle where other people would be, including 
enemy soldiers. Yeah, but like that jungle's dense though. Yeah. And you know, he thought, why walk in the brush if I can walk the trail? It's yeah, easy going. Exactly. I'm injured. But I mean, he knew that this wasn't the move, <laughs> so to speak. He said, you know what? It's not the move, guys. <laughs> but I mean, he did it anyway. I, I mean, don't know what accent that was, but that was <laughs> not the move. I'm going with bro. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is because like the trails are the most likely part where people would be watering holes where you you would most likely be to stop. Mm-hmm. And the move is to cut through the jungle. And he happens upon two Patet Lao troops Uh-oh. while he's traveling on the trail. And these are not North Vietnamese troops, but they are their allies who are fighting with them. Uh, they're the neighboring country. So they're pro-communist. Just as bad. So yeah, not good news for him. Right. Basically the other side, to simplify it. But they tied up his wrists and took his compass and watch before searching his rucksack. And while they were searching him... He tried to speak German and, like, kind of get them to believe that he was not an American soldier, but, like, just a random German in the middle of the woods in so North Vietnam while there's a conflict going on. Exactly. So um, they didn't buy it. Uh, they were just really confused, more yeah. so. And they took them back to their camp and pretty much laid him down and drove four stakes into the ground and, like, tied him, each of his limbs, to one of the stakes so he was spread eagle on the ground. Oh! He It was so tight he couldn't move, and leeches were crawling up his leg. No! And he couldn't do anything about no, it. No, no, no. And I have never encountered a leech, and if I ever do, I think it's time to put me down. I think... Put you down. Put me down. Put me out of my misery. <laughs> I think it's time to just call it quits. I I could literally. I oh no. Oh no no no. Oh, that no, is no. the opposite of chill. He is tied to stakes, and there's leeches crawl. No. Oh. I just think the jungle is not the place for oh, you. The jungle? No. No. Not for me. No. no Unsubscribe. No. I do not Dislike. subscribe to the jungle. Sorry. But yeah, I mean, he said um, in his like recall, the leeches would crawl up his leg. They would be, you know, very thin, kind of like needle-like. Yeah. And when after they were done, they would be like the size of your finger. Oh, no. And then you would just bleed. Oh, no. Yeah, because they like bite. Yeah, they don't fuck around. They're literally sucking your blood. Yep. Oh, no. That's what they do. So this is like literally just the very beginning this is the tip of the iceberg for what he's about to go through poor Dieter can't even imagine at the beginning I said pour one out for me wearing a bra okay pour one out for Dieter right now Jesus Christ and Dieter uh, as they took him to march back to their prisoner of war camp forced him to in fact wear a bra oh for for a hot (laughs) second there I was like you are telling the truth for a second and then I'm like okay that's i'm now dumb (laughs) i'm joking i am tired Uh, obviously but (laughs) they did march him back they pretty much tied his wrists together and like forced him to hike at a grueling pace through the jungle at gunpoint and they fed him small rations of sticky rice and gave him unfiltered river water and just tied him up every night so i mean this is you know not good for your health unfiltered river water in vietnam in the jungle right filled with parasites yuck the trek ends when Dieter's original captors hand him off to a guerrilla group chief uh, who is the head of another group of Patet Lao troops. And to the surprise of the chief, both he and Dieter spoke some French. Okay. So for the first time since his capture, Dieter's actually able to communicate with somebody 
in a language that they understand. Right. So this scores him special treatment at the camp initially. So he spends hours telling the chief about the places that he's visited in Europe. And for the first time since the plane crash, he gets fed a full meal. And he's also allowed to bathe and his wounds are treated before going to sleep on a cot instead of being tied up again on the fucking ground where the leeches are. Okay. So, some good news. Yeah. However, the treatment is short-lived after the chief that is the head of the guerrillas confronts Dieter to sign a document that states he's being forced by U.S. Army officials to bomb women and children on purpose despite disagreeing with the orders. Ah, so it's all schmooze. It's all schmooze. Um, I mean, maybe, you know, at first there was like some genuine empathy being felt, but this is i think that this was like it's a bribe it's yeah yes but like this was like a more widespread tactic of theirs to like sway public opinion from the u.s um anyway dieter refuses to sign and the special treatment ceases just as quickly as it had began he's turned over to guards who beat him until he blacks out Oh, no. He's woken up later by a splash of water and offered to sign the document again. He again refuses, and they drag him out in front of the hut that they were in, tied him to a water buffalo, and whipped it into a trot. Wow. that That's one tough cookie, For I mean, to, to put it as simply as possible. Yeah, but no like, shit. But like that, wow. To be no, like, here, you can sign this document and you could be done or you can you can continue to be beaten to the edge of your life. Yeah, no, he's beyond tough. Damn. And this is still just the type tip of the iceberg. Wow. I mean, he's pretty much being dragged off of really sharp roots through the village um, that they're keeping him at. And the villagers are like cheering this on actively. Oh, God. And Dieter said that he could see the hate in their eyes. Yeah, I bet. And they were they were eating it up. And at the end of this torture, I mean, he, he's, he's bleeding profusely. His skin's torn up. His clothes are ripped to shreds. And they again give him a chance to sign the document. And he still refused. Wow. That is, that's some strength right there. Yeah. I mean, it's inspirational. This is like, I love the fortitude that it takes to do this. And just the fuck you attitude that he had. He, he just wouldn't sign this fucking document. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I don't know that I would be able to be that strong. <laughs> like, that's really oh, yeah, crazy. No. Yeah, no way. Especially if I didn't agree with the war. Right. Yeah, no way. So at dawn, the guerrillas leave the village with Dieter tied up and march him through the jungle again. At night, Dieter actually manages to escape from the soldiers and hides on the hilltop. As the sun rises and his adrenaline wears off, Dieter realizes how dehydrated he is and cuts open a succulent to get its juice. Oh. What he didn't know was that the shit was poisonous. Oh. It caused his cheeks to go numb and his throat to swell shut. And so he was desperate for water and stumbled down the hilltop to a watering hole only to be found by his captors. No. But now he's poisoned and also still in captivity. Yes. Oh, no, no, no. The Patet Lao were furious that he had run away and set out to break him. They started to torture him by hanging him upside down, uh, like tied his feet, threw the rope over a branch, and like hoisted him up so he was upside down, smeared honey on his face, and put a nest of black stinging ants right below him. Oh, no. You know, the whole time, Dieter's drifting in and out of consciousness because these ants sting, and it hurts yeah 
And have you ever been bitten by like one of those fire ants before? Yeah, I mean, similar type thing. I mean, it's like obviously that there's no comparison. Like he's got honey on him, and he's on his face. Oh God, that that is horrendous to think about. Not even halfway. Oh no. So <laughs> the whole time he's like passing out, and that night he gets lowered into a small cave full of water as the temperature drops in the jungle. And he shivers all night. And honestly, in my opinion, it's like amazing that he didn't get hypothermia. And die. And die. And um, they pull him out the next morning and keep marching him. Eventually, they get to another camp where the gorillas hand him off to some North Vietnamese soldiers who then brought him to a POW camp only 14 days after his crash. Damn. Um, this POW camp is run by a different group of Patet Lao soldiers who shoved Dieter into a primitive hut with obviously no lights, and it is rife with spider nests. Your favorite. Oh, no. <laughs> so, I mean, it was just like makeshift. I'm no, sure that yeah. they did not give a shit how the POWs were living. Right. And the only light that got through to Dieter was through the cracks in the wood. And it was like boiling hot because the jungle is hot. And during the day, it's just baking. There's no windows. I mean, if there's no light, there's no airflow. So yeah, it sounds terrible. Just like, just like that stagnant air. It's hot. Humid too. Humid. Yeah. Disgusting. Jungle. So. I'm just saying words now. Just jungle. Jungle. Humid. Bad. (laughs) Not good. (laughs) Exactly. Um, so after the guards leave Dieter, the prisoners next door whispered him to find out who he is. And there are six other prisoners that he could communicate with. One was also a U.S. Air Force lieutenant named Dwayne Martin. The second was a, was named Jean De Bruin, who was part of U.S. Air Crew, who had crashed from a cargo ship that was bringing supplies. And the other four, uh, were a Chinese radio operator, Tu Yik Chu, nicknamed YC. Mm-hmm. And the last three were Thai cargo shippers, Prasit Thani, Prasit Pramusawan, and prepare yourself for this <laughs> pronunciation. Okay. Prisidi Intradat. Okay. Pronunciation. Like that? I love that. Um, so this is who they are working with. Uh, the group start to get to know each other, and mainly everyone there just wanted to know news about what had happened on the outside. Yeah, I feel like if you're in that kind of place, it's like, how do you not trauma bond a little bit? You know? Exactly. Yeah. And they just wanted to know, like, what the hell's going on mm-hmm. outside of this desolate place? Definitely. And do, you know, do you know how long they had been there? Going to get to that. Oh, okay. So some of them had been there for over two years. Oh, shit. That's not good. Yeah. And the questions they asked were like, what did cars look like now? What was happening in Europe, Cuba, China? What could you see on TV and he also told them that President Kennedy had been assassinated oh, because wow. that happened yep. in the 60s. And Dwayne Martin had told them that, but nobody believed him. Oh. But now, Dieter confirmed Dieter, yeah. it. And they were like, oh shit, right? Because yeah. like... You don't believe that. You're like, right? come on. You're, the you're... U.S. president dying? Exactly. Getting assassinated, no less? Like, fucking wild. Um, so Dieter finds out from the group that they had attempted an escape previously that ended in them being severely beaten right. and was not successful. So the group began to plot their next escape plan, naturally, because what the fuck else do you do? Mm-hmm. 
uh, thinking that it would be best for them to wait until the monsoon season in May. Remember, this is February. This is because they would be harder to track because the rain automatically covers your tracks and there would be more fresh water for like readily available so you don't have to go to a watering hole. That's very smart. They were like, we're going to wait till May. The rains will come and then we'll get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. So this plan gave them hope and really kept up their will to live as they settled into a very bleak routine. The prisoners' days mainly consisted of being in the dilapidated huts, only being let out briefly to use the latrine and get a little fresh air. Um, And this usually happened in the morning and at night. And that was fucking it. Mm. And for the rest of the time, they just let them be in the huts that are, again, have no light. Hot. Hot. Disgusting. Filled with spiders, bugs, I'm sure just other rodents, like whatever. So periodically, the guards would take a prisoner to the North Vietnamese to be interrogated, naturally. And Prasit Thani was forced to act as a translator because he spoke both English, Laotian, and Vietnamese. So he was like kind of the bridge between all of them. And the guards would look for any pretense whatsoever to beat the prisoners, really not needing much reason at all. Right. And one of the guards that they called Little Hitler would actually take off their handcuffs and uh, they're like foot blocks. Mm. I mean, they basically keep your feet together. He would take them off and be like, oh, look, they're escaping from, from them. And then they would beat the shit out of them. Oh my God. It must equally suck and be very good to be like the translator guy, like the bridge between, because that means they need you to like still be alive to do that. But also like that sucks because then you have to like deal with them. Yeah. And I mean, like, I feel like I would feel some sort of guilt because you're like going in between them. Like, can you like soften the blow when you translate? Like it's kind of on you. Yeah. So I don't know. I can't even imagine being in that position. And then you get to witness all the beatings. Exactly. Not oh, was you he get never, to, but you have to. Yeah. Well, was he never like a part of the beatings or was he um, like... They didn't say. I oh, mean, I'm okay. sure that he was probably given more special treatment because they could communicate with him. But I'm sure that, I mean, he's still a prisoner. Yeah. So, that makes sense. And these guys are fucking savage. Yeah. So the whole time... They would play intensely savage mind games with them and would like fire guns at their feet and like point guns at them and like joke about it. Oh. And there was one point where uh, one of the guards had uh, M1 carbine to Dieter's head and he thought that he was going to pull the trigger. He's like, I'm dead. And he held it there and pulled it away and laughed. Oh my God. But I mean, this is what they're dealing with on a daily basis. Right. I mean, it's just yikes. I mean, I feel like how do you not break when you're just like constantly in that yeah. hell i mean this isn't this isn't even in the first week that they're in oh this, that dieter's in this camp so dieter and the other prisoner kept up their spirits by discussing religion history at night kind of just anything but their situation just literally kind of trying anything to like at all rise above right um they made a chess set out of bamboo and rocks and he actually taught the other prisoners how to play so that they could all have something to do during all day of captivity. Yeah. And at night, the guards would lock all seven of the prisoners into wooden foot blocks so that they couldn't escape while the guards were sleeping. However, they were savvy enough to craft makeshift keys so that they could unlock themselves from the blocks at night and then only have to get back into them like right before the guards got there in the morning. Okay. Uh, Fun side note about this is like they were actually pretty ingenious with this because the U.S. Army didn't know how to get out of these and they actually took that information that they like got here and used it 
like as classified information and like distributed it. Wow. It's like if you ever get captured, like this is like how to get out of the foot blocks. Wow. So they came up with some like very ingenious solutions. So they hid the keys in their underwear, knowing that the guards wouldn't check there because they're not bathing. No homo. No homo. <laughs> uh, they're like probably pissing themselves sometimes. Yeah. Like they don't smell good and nobody's going down there. So for food throughout this time, the guards only gave out small portions of rice and they began taking whatever they thought that they didn't need of the rice and started storing it so that they could escape. Okay. Eventually, you know, like when we do escape, we're going to have to go through the jungle. We need yeah. food, right? So one day, about eight days after reaching the camp, one of the guards the prisoners had nicknamed Crazy Horse oh. told them that they were going to be set free and that they just had to walk to the headquarters. So they started marching, tied together by handcuffs through the jungle, uh, but didn't reach any headquarters. They soon realized that they had been moved to a new POW camp, miles away from the old one that was much more locked down mm. and was surrounded by a 15-foot tall woven bamboo fence. <laughs> fence. By <laughs> a bamboo fence. <laughs> The camp was even deeper into the jungle than the last and would have been even harder for U.S. planes to spot from the air. Shit. And I'm guessing all their food is at the last camp, huh? Yeah, so all that effort that they had storing up rice. I mean, granted, it was only for about eight days. Right. But still wasted. Okay, well, at least it's not like months of rice. Yeah. You know? It, it could be worse. It could be be worse but it could be a lot better it could, yeah i mean i'm just really grasping at straws here <laughs> truly uh grasping at rice and literally the layout only had one entrance at the front that was guarded by a single soldier that led to a dirt path out of the camp there were two 30-foot guard towers on either side of the camp so like basically the prisoner huts are in the middle there's a fence around them there's two guard huts on the outside and then like the guards sleep in huts outside of the fence. Sick. So uh, the kitchen quarters were outside the fence, uh, along with a latrine that the prisoners would, use? from time to time, get to use. Outside of the fence? And, yes, outside of the fence. Wow. And so for a brief time, they got to go out. But this was also next to a stream for fresh water. And the two prisoner huts that they were stashed in were raised up about four feet from the ground and were each roughly about 108 square feet. That's not... For three and four people each. Yeah, that's not great. It's not, not great. Not great. They were made of logs, bamboo, and thatched... And the roofs were thatched with leaves. They split the group uh, along racial lines, pretty much, and put the three Americans in one hut and the Thai cargo group in YC in the other. This actually helped them to lessen the tension between them uh, that had been growing because the Americans were uh, suspicious of Prasit because he had been talking to the guards. Right, he's because he speaks Vietnamese, mm -hmm. and they probably were like, why are you doing that? Right. Remember, he's the only person that can could communicate with them. I'm sure that he was like trying to soften relations. Sure. And I mean, if you could try translate, and get, yeah, you know. I mean, I would try and get like some special treatment. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you got to look out for number one, baby. You know? Right. Um, so they're split up um, and they adopt again, another similar soul crushing routine at this new camp. They're woken up early uh, with the chickens and taken down to the latrine for a bathroom break. If any of them take more than half a minute, the guards will begin shooting at them. Half a minute? That, what? Yeah. That's no... So no poop. Imagine, yeah, I was like trying to poop. 
No poops. Quick poops. That is not always the case, now is it? Mm-mm. Okay. There's no TP. N- no TP? What are we, in the jungle? <laughs> <laughs> what are we, animals? No TP. What are we, in a pandemic? That is just the least of their worries at I this know. point. <laughs> Costco's out of toilet paper. <laughs> the fuck is this? Um, so yeah, they pretty much can't go to the bathroom. So they soon decided that it would be safer for them to relieve themselves inside their hut (gasps) in bamboo containers and dump them every two to three days. The stench of the hut was indescribable. No, no. Oh, no, no. I'm sure that you maybe become nose blind to it at some point. I don't know about that one. Maybe not. I thought the leeches were bad. This is just another layer of hell they're gonna keep going deeper god damn i can't believe that shit's real like i believe it but also like wow yeah i mean this war was ugly yeah ugly war and at 9 a.m the guards would give the prisoners uh some rice sometimes allowing them to eat at a table outside of the main hut which is where the guard stays for about 10 minutes before shoving them back into the into their hut. They were again given rice at night and then put into foot blocks and handcuffed before the guards went to sleep. Dieter recalls the most nerve-wracking experience of this routine was when the guards would sing propaganda songs over and over again at night and they would just not stop. So initially, there was enough rice to sustain them all. Times were good. But a month later, like, Getting into March, after they were captured, the food supply began to dry up and become unstable. So they were getting food and then they weren't because they were having a famine, pretty Mm. much. And because the meals became so regular at the camp, the prisoners would catch any animals that they could find in their hut and then would equally divide the, the meat between them. You mean irregular? Yeah. Yeah. So like they would get rice, they wouldn't. I mean, they weren't being fed really well right. anyway. So, mm. like, anything that they could eat, they would eat. And Dieter said, or Dieter recalled that rats were a great catch. And that after a while, like, what he found gross initially became, like, an absolute delicacy. Right. Uh, they even managed to catch small snakes from time to time. Most of them with rats in their stomach. And what he considered... A double meal. Rats? In a snake stomach. Oh, wow. So they were like psyched. They were like, this is two for one. Right. This snake just ate. Therefore, I get two meals. Yes. This is a combo. Oh, man. And they even caught a frog once and divided up the raw meat between them equally. And Dieter got the heart of the frog, which was the size of a watch stem. Watch stem? Like the thing you twist. Oh. Oh. That's so st- That's so small. Yeah. But that's what he ate. So this is what they're dealing with. How did they not starve to death? It's a miracle, really. But I mean, they're losing weight. Right. Of course. Of course. I mean, they're giving them really the bare minimum to just to keep them alive. During this whole time, no medical attention was ever provided at the camp. Despite a slew of ailments the prisoners were experiencing, they got malaria, diarrhea was common among all of them, uh, and they ate some charcoal to help usually, but... Some of them would have to poop 30, uh, 20 to 30 times a night. No. Oh, God. One of the prisoners had a tooth infected so badly that he took a nail and a rock and hammered <sighs> it off piece by piece because it was so painful. 
Yeah, you just got to get that out at that point. But that's like, oh my God. I can't even imagine getting to the point where I hammer a tooth out of my face. No, no. I mean, you literally, that's rock bottom. Like that's... No, it's not. Oh no. (laughs) Nope. Remember their plan is to escape during the monsoon rains, right? Right. Months go by and March turns to April. April turns to May. Still the monsoon rains aren't coming. May slips into June still without rains. So they're in June now. Keep doing the same shit every day. Do they need the rain? Come on. So expecting the monsoons to come at some point soon, Dieter began weakening the floorboards of the hut with water and urine over the next several days to try and like get a hole in the floor so Mm -hmm. they could get out under it. And this gets to a point where he's able to break through the floor and easily drop down to the ground. So they get to a point where they can like pull up the floorboard drop down and they could put it back uh, so the guards won't notice. And they meticulously note the guards' routines and begin to hatch a more exact escape plan. They figured that the best time to strike was when the guards seemingly left all their weapons uh, somewhere else and went to eat at their kitchen hut around 5 p.m. Timing would be key here, and they estimated that they would need about two and a half minutes in order to get out of their foot blocks and handcuffs, open a hole in the floor with the floorboard, scurry over to the guard towers, and grab a weapon to hold up the guards with. Okay. So they would like count like one, yeah, two, very and they tight. would like practice. And they like pretty much came up with this exact plan. They were just like waiting for a moment to strike. The lack of food was beginning to seriously affect even the guards at this point. And the prisoners learned that the lead guard had said if one of the guards shot them, dragged them into the brush, they would have all the food to themselves, meaning they could eat them. Oh my god. The guards are now like, oh, we're going to kill you so we can eat you? Yeah. They're thinking about it. God damn. So upon learning this, they're like, we have no time to wait for the monsoons. We need to get the fuck out of here. Yep. Fuck that plan. So they knew that their days were numbered. And I mean, obviously, even if they hadn't made that comment, like they're not going to continue to give you food if they can't feed themselves. So, you know, time is of the essence, truly. Also, physically, the prisoners are getting weaker and weaker by the day because they have no fucking food. And they are dealing with illness after illness. Like I said, they have malaria, parasites, bouts of dysentery. Like they're, they're like, if they don't do it soon, they're not going to be physically in the shape to do anything and survive in the jungle for any period of time. So in an increasingly desperate move to get food, seven of the 17 soldiers our guards at the camp go to nearby villages to search for food like rice whatever they can find so now it's like 10 v 7 and now that they're more equally matched in numbers they were like this is our chance we got to do it now so they pulled trig on the plan and as the remaining soldiers at the camp go to eat dinner the prisoners seize the opportunity Prasit thani signals dieter that the coast is clear and dieter pulls up the floorboards of the hut and drops to the ground He crawls under the fence to the guard tower and steals three rifles from a nearby watchtower. And by the time that he had the rifles, two of the other Thai prisoners had caught up with him and he handed them two rifles too. Shortly after this, the guards noticed that something was wrong and scrambled to get their guns and find the escapees. They quickly found Dieter and fired shots that whizzed right over his head and he remembers feeling the bullet fly over his head. Nobody got hit, and they returned fire, dropping one of the soldiers. Another guard charged at Dieter with a machete, and he shot him 
from three feet away at pretty much point blank range and dropped him. Wow. By this time, Gene had found a machine gun and shot a third guard in the firefight. And at the end, remember the other two Thai soldiers are shooting people too. At the end of the firefight, seven of the guards had been killed, but the other three escaped into the jungle, leaving the prisoners with the camp to themselves. Okay. So they had taken it over. Great. But no. it was a short-lived victory because they realized that they would have to abandon their original plan of staying near the camp and signaling for rescue and like holding it up like holding the camp down because the three soldiers who escaped would come back with reinforcements and they would be fucked like they would be easily outnumbered there's only seven of them right exactly so Dieter and Duane say a quick emotional goodbye to Jean who decided to stay behind with YC who had fallen so ill that he couldn't, like, travel on his own. And they ended up giving him double the ration of rice that they took because their plan was to get a good distance away from the camp and then wait and signal, like, aerial rescue. Um, So they gave him extra rice and said goodbye. And then the Thai prisoners also split from the group because they figured that if they split up, like, they would have to go find two different groups. Mm. At least one of the groups would survive, like... Mm there would be a higher chance of that. That's so smart, but they, also sad. I know. So they also split. So Dieter and Dwayne disappear into the jungle on the run, following a trail as far as they could before vomiting because they're not used to physical exertion. Remember, oh no. they've been like trapped in their hut for multiple months. They have no food. They're definitely not used to exercising. Right. So they're trying to like get out, <laughs> GTFO. Right. Exactly. So they like exert themselves so hard that they start puking. Right. They make it as far as they can before stopping for the night and make camp and drift off to sleep. They get woken up by the much needed monsoon rains. Oh, thank God. So literally like perfect timing. Yeah, good. Uh, The rains would help them to not be tracked. Like I said, they would be able to get clean water more easily, but this slowed their pace through the jungle considerably. Considerably. (laughs) Considerably uh, because of the thick, sticky mug. (laughs) Mug. (laughs) Thick, sticky mug. Oh my God. We're not cutting any of this. Uh, Not to mention... Uh, the enormous and plentiful population of mosquitoes that hounded them every step of the way. Oh, yeah. I never even thought of the mosquitoes. Remember? Remember those? Also just like miscellaneous insects. Yeah. No, 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 no. So it was so wet. The rice that they had dried and saved for this trip gets moldy, but they eat it anyway because they have no other option. So they're eating moldy rice. The horrific conditions of the jungle led their feet to blistering and getting infected to put the cherry on top of their predicament. Right. Yeah, of course, because that's just all they need. This is really what they, what they need right now. So the duo marched on, traveling in creeks whenever possible so they didn't leave any tracks. From a break in the storms, Dieter's able to actually get their bearings from a directional compass he made with the sun mm-hmm. and realizes that they are moving west in the direction they wanted to go by following the creek. So they were going in the right direction. Okay, good. Great. Great. Good news. At night, the two of them pull off from the creek and make camp, huddling together from warmth because it's raining, no fire. Yeah, exactly. Right. So eventually the small creek that they have been following turns into a full-fledged river, and they decide to piece together a makeshift raft out of a banana tree. Okay. He said they spent about eight hours building it and started floating down the river. 
The fact that they have any energy at all is like astounding to me. Yeah, well, I mean, when your life's on the line, I imagine you could dig pretty deep. Yeah. (laughs) So initially, the raft is working fantastically. They float down the river effortlessly, making progress that would have taken days on foot. And that is until they hear the roar of a waterfall (gasps) coming up. Are you fucking kidding me? Nope. What the hell? (laughs) So this forces them to get the fuck off the raft and swim to shore before they fall off the waterfall and they watched it as it fell off the waterfall and broke into a million pieces. What the hell? Really, their problems are only just beginning to compound as they experience dizzy spells from hunger because their rice rations had run low. They were like passing out all the time because they couldn't eat and they're exerting themselves. So desperate for food, they killed an iguana and ate the meat raw. Well, at least they could kill an iguana. Honestly, if you catch it while it's sunning, I feel like reptiles are pretty slow. Okay. In the morning? Yeah, I don't maybe. know. Maybe. I mean, I didn't. I never had a reptile, Just me? so I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to try it out. Mm, sunning? No. Killing reptiles? I don't oh. know. <laughs> so after finishing the meal, they actually stumble into an abandoned village uh, where they sleep for the night, and it's the first dry place since they escaped that they slept in. Oh, amazing. Fantastic. Big luck. They had actually dropped their weapons and ammo because they were too weak to carry it during yeah. this process, and when they found the village, Dieter trekked back to find the ammo uh, and he found three bullets brought them back and the reason they wanted it was for the gunpowder so they could start a fire so they pretty much rubbed some sticks together ignited the gunpowder and they had fucking fire in a dry village right and for the first time they boil leaves and tapioca and have their first warm meal in months oh good so while they're staying in the village a plane flew overhead and dropped some parachute flares okay so they were elated because they were like they saw us they dropped flares for us they're coming back to get us great and they waited all day for a rescue that never came i need some good news <laughs> yeah it's I need coming some good it's fucking coming. news yeah so this is like obviously a whiplash of emotions so they try and come up with another plan um as Dwayne begins to experience a violent malaria attack So he's got a fever, he's shivering, uh, things taking a turn for the worst. So they're sick, starving, and out of options. So Dwayne and Dieter cautiously approach a nearby village for help. Mm -hmm. But remember, the locals not exactly... Welcoming? Welcoming to Mm -hmm. Americans. So they were showing their hands to show that they're empty, but the villager that they approached ended up running at them with a machete. Oh. And he came at them so quick, he cut Dwayne at the leg and then with his first swing and then decapitated him with his second swing. Oh. And Dieter heard Dwayne scream. No. And with the third swing, the villager narrowly misses Dieter by about half an inch. Oh my God. Oh my God. He's swinging at his throat. Okay, um, I feel like we just lost a BFF. We did. Dwayne. Dwayne. <sighs> Dwayne died. Pour one out for Dwayne. Dieter is completely shocked and horrified. And, you know, the attacker only misses him by about half an inch with his third swipe. And not knowing where he got the strength, Dieter books it into the jungle. Wow. Yeah, that's adrenaline for you. Yeah. I mean, just full adrenaline rush. He's sprinting. The deranged villager gathers a group and starts to hunt him in the jungle Why? for a what few on a few hours. You have nothing better to do. I guess not. You're living in the jungle. You're like... No, they hate the Americans. Well, yeah. But like, Jesus like, Christ. I don't think you understand. No, I don't. Clearly. I just like... 
Give him a break for fuck's sake. They wouldn't. So they spent a few hours hunting him before they gave up because he was hiding in the jungle. So Dieter is furious. Oh, uh, yeah. And really? Yeah. He goes back to the abandoned village thinking it was their village mm. and sets it on fire. Okay. You know And what? he was like, I don't give a fuck if they find me. Yeah. I want to do damage. I get it. And he... He recalls being, like, not in the right state of mind. But, like, who would be? Who would be? Who would your, be? Your, your partner just got their head cut off. Yeah. You narrowly escaped your head getting cut off. You've been starving for months. You've been a prisoner of war. You're in the jungle. Like, wh- I would set some shit on fire, too. Fuck. Fortunately for Dieter, the blaze attracts a pilot of a C-10. Please let him out. And sees the blaze... And curiously circles, but Dieter realizes that they have no way of knowing if an American had set the fire or, or if it was just right. the Vietnamese or the Patet Lao. Mm-hmm. So the plane drops about 20 parachute flares and flies off. Okay. What? what? Come for back. For signaling. Come back. Yep. And on a hill near the burnt out village, Dieter uses the parachute to make an SOS signal and waited. Okay. So he prayed at this point because the plane had flown away. Yeah. Um, He said, God, forgive me for the bad things I've done in life. I just can't fight it anymore. Please let me die. Okay. I don't want to wake up. Yeah. And he goes to sleep. However, he woke up. Okay. Well. And he was pissed off and more determined to give it one last shot to get rescued. Yeah. So he hiked down to a nearby river and was fading in and out of consciousness. So he's really just trying to make one last push but he's passing out along the way. Dieter wakes up the next day, pissed off and determined to give it his all and one last push to get rescued. Dieter hiked down to the river nearby, fading in and out of consciousness. He manages to lay out an SOS on the riverbank before passing out. Okay. And basically, that was like his last effort. Yeah. He wakes up to the sound of a plane flying low. Oh, for the love of God. And it goes back and forth several times and starts to wiggle its wings. Which means that I see you. Oh my god! Um, so he is fucking yeeting. <laughs> He's yeeting? He was so happy, he starts crying and shouting with such intensity he that he collapses <laughs> again and passes out. God damn it, Dieter. Pull it together, man. No, I'm, I'm not judging Dieter. I think dude, I, he, uh, dude, he deserves it. He deserves it? Yeah. I would have done the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... He passed out, right? And he wakes up again to a helicopter lowering a cable that was attached to a rescue harness so he could get pulled up. Oh my God. Oh my God. They better so have some granola bars on that fucking happening. helicopter. Yes. They have some Nature Valley. <laughs> the crunchy kind? The crumbs the... will no. get everywhere. But Not he... the crunchy kind. <laughs> um, so they pull him up in the chopper and he hugs the leg of the guy that pulled him up and starts crying. Oh, Dieter. Rip my heart out. So it's July 20th, mm-hmm. 1966. Wow. And remember that he crashed in February of the same year. Oh, wow. Almost. He's been missing for almost six months. Ugh. He was rescued about 100 miles from where he originally crashed. Wow. And when they brought him to the infirmary, he was diagnosed with two types of malaria, intestinal worms, fungus, jaundice and hepatitis he was incredibly malnourished 
and weighed only 98 pounds. Whoa. Wow. That is, I don't even know what words, like survivalist to the highest extent. Yes. Like, and with like all of our stories, the doctor said that if he had been out there a day or two longer, he, he would have died. Yeah. I'm shocked he didn't already die. Like Me there's, too. there's no reason why he should be alive. I mean, he was already done. Yeah. The day before he got rescued. Exactly. Insane. Remarkable. So eventually after two months in the hospital, Dieter made a full cover- recovery physically. Hell yeah. He almost doubled his body weight. Oh my god! Uh, I hope he had all the food he wanted. Every yeah, me too. every pizza, every brownie, all the ice cream. Yeah, um, it wasn't totally happy because for the first few weeks, um, he wouldn't sleep in his bed. He said it was too soft. He slept on the floor. Yeah, that's really that's sad. I mean, that's like the reality of the situation. That's yeah. really sad. So he never truly recovered mentally from it. Uh, how could you? Yeah, he was haunted by nightmares uh, of the brutal reality that he lived through. I mean, yeah, that's PTSD to the highest extent. Like, Yeah, and I don't think that they really knew what the fuck it was. No, of course not. So, I mean, he never really like fully got over it, even right. when he got back home, Ugh. which is so sad. But But he survived. He survived. He fucking lived. And out of the seven prisoners, only Dieter and... Facit Intradat were definitively known to have survived the ordeal. Wow. Facit uh, split from the proceeds. Remember, there was two proceeds. Okay. Um, and after 32 days of wandering through the jungle, due to hunger, Facit fainted on a road and woke up in captivity because a Lao villager had spotted him when he was unconscious. So he ended up back in Banaden Prison, which was later raided by the U.S. in January of 1967, which was the only successful rescue of POWs during the Vietnam War. Wow. Okay. That's insane that he was, again, a prisoner of war and then was, you know, Yeah, I want to say, I can't remember if he was one of the people who had been there for two years. Because if that's true, then that was probably the third year. Oh, God. Which is uh, the fortitude, like the mental toughness yeah. that he had to have. Unfathomable. But the rest of the crew were never heard from again. So Dieter's rescue was kept secret until he was fully debriefed by the army. And it was understood that he never signed any confessions. Like the one they that they fucking him dragged him behind a water buffalo to sign. Right. So they corroborated that he didn't sign anything. And he received the Navy Cross and Purple Heart among a slew of other uh, awards and medals from the Army uh, and became a national hero and even getting a standing ovation and a congressional hearing about his ordeal. Wow. So he was surprised by all the attention that he received because he thought anyone would have tried that hard to return home. Like, I'm not special. Dude, Dieter, Dieter, hang on. <laughs> buddy, <laughs> buddy, you did some some crazy shit, Dieter. You deserve that. Yeah, but I don't know. This is just like who he is, right? Crazy. Very humble. So Dieter finished his tour of duty in the Air Force and left to take a job as a pilot with the Trans World Airlines after being, what is it called? Discharged? Discharged, yes. Jesus Christ. Uh, After he was discharged, he took a job as a pilot. Wow. Go figure. Okay. He never stopped flying and... He even meticulously restored a Cessna 195 that was his pride and joy, and that he would show off at that's plane a, shows. That's a plane. That's a plane. Okay, I didn't. I it's a model. Okay. It's like a, 
It's like a, you know, Subaru 2013. Okay. You know, oh, that's just... tan. Let's not give up our car. That's so generic. <laughs> Come on now. Um, anyway, so he never stopped flying. That was his, like, hobby, obviously, his fucking love in life. That looked great. I'm glad he kept up with it. Yeah. And he actually decided to return to Laos, uh, where he was imprisoned. Wow. After being furloughed in 1977 in an economic downturn. And was welcomed as a celebrity by the Batet Lao. Interesting. Extremely interesting. And he was taken to the camp that he was escaped or that he had escaped from over a decade ago. Yeah. And he realized that like through his path home, he actually like was going out and then came back and was within a mile and a half of the camp. Holy shit. At one point. What wow that's really weird yeah i don't know like i i find it so crazy whenever someone goes through something so traumatic and crazy i'm just thinking of like yulian kuepka who who, like went back to the crash site and like would go back regularly i mean you know as regularly as i guess she could but like it's just so crazy like why would you do that yeah i mean i would imagine that it's like therapeutic therapeutic because you like relive it you like kind of put it to rest you like come to peace with it yeah you like kind of go there and you can like stand where you were and right and see where you've come yeah Yeah. like you you feel the reality of what was but then you realize like it's over yeah that's true you know yeah also episode three (laughs) right yulian kepka yeah um another story that i actually told it's weird that (laughs) this comes up but I mean, it's very similar. I feel like it's like kind of right, your like, vibe. Like you, you like stories I like plane like this. crashes. You like <laughs> apparently you like plane crashes and like shit like this, which makes sense. It checks out. So after returning home, Dieter married three times. Okay. Um, and had two sons, Rolf and Alexander, and had three grandchildren. And in February two thousand one. Dieter was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, and fearing that his last days would be spent as a vegetable, he rolled his wheelchair to a driveway of a fire station and shot himself. Oh, that's really sad. And ended his life on his own terms. That's really, really sad. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That made me tear up. Yeah, I mean, he really survived, and he he had an incredible life. I mean, Mm -hmm. lots of tragedy. Lots of tragedy, but he really did it. Yeah, when he got back, like, his mindset was like, I was not supposed to survive what happened to me. And every day that I get after this is a gift. Yeah. So he so, lived a very full life Yeah. after that. And, you know, I think it was like, you know, when you brush that close to death so yeah. many times and go through that experience, like, I feel like death is no longer so like foreign and like out of your consciousness right and you know he he just didn't want to end up you know i don't know it's very sad but like he he did like it is it's so strange but like he ended it on his own terms too sure i get that so that is the story of dieter dangler damn dieter wow i don't even i mean i don't really have much to say i mean that shit is just crazy (laughs) (laughs) is that the title (laughs) That shit is just crazy, dude. Bro. That, I feel like such an idiot for saying that after such a, like, insane story. I know, but, like, what can you say? What can like, you say? Every like, time we do a story, it's, like, no words justify, like, what just happened to yeah, a person. I mean, I feel like there's some stories we tell where, like, we can talk about it a little bit afterward and, like, recap and be like, wow, it was really incredible, blah, blah, blah. But, like, 
this one's just like, holy shit. Like, there's really no reason why he should have lived. Like, I mean, he's just so, he was insanely strong and like persistent and just wouldn't stop. And that's insane. I mean, poor, poor Dwayne decapitated. He tried to. I mean, yeah, I know he was so close to, he was so close, but I mean, I mean, he was a survivalist too, you know, like he he, was, he was a survivor up until the very end. Yeah, exactly. God damn. I mean, on that note, do you have a good thing? (laughs) Do I have a good thing? Yeah. Yes, I do. Great. I have two good things this week. Number one, I had Friday off. Yes, Friday off. Amen. And then I'm going home tomorrow Mm -hmm. to see my fucking family. Who I have not seen in a long time. Yeah. So shout out to them. Yeah, I'm so jealous. I wish I could have, you know, been to your family thing. Yeah. Huntapalooza. <laughs> yes, Huntapalooza. <laughs> I really they got, wish. They got t-shirts. Yeah, they have matching t-shirts. I want a matching t-shirt so bad. <laughs> I'm sure they got you one. No, it's all right. No, I'm I, I'm so happy you get to go do that. It's going to be so fun. And yeah, and then I'll hear all about it when you get back. What's your good thing? My good thing is I am so hype that live theater is now a thing that's happening again. And my coworker directed a play and he invited me to come. So I'm going to go watch his play. And I've heard really great things about it already because one of my coworkers saw it, I believe, like last night or something. And she said it was amazing. And I'm so excited to go. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to go by myself, but I don't even care. Like, I, I know the play and I really like the play and I love him. And I'm just really excited to go and support him and see live theater for the first time in like I don't forever. Even, forever in so long. And I'm, I'm just so excited Amen. I think it's going to be amazing. Um, Yeah, so that's my good thing. Amen. And yeah. Yeah, if you'd like to email us us with a great story, any story that you would like to possibly have read on the podcast, email at us at notodaypodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at nottodaypodcast with a T on the end is a three. Because that makes sense. And if you'd like to follow us on TikTok, we're at Not Today Podcast. Instagram, Not Today underscore podcast. And we just hit over a thousand followers on Instagram. Thank you guys so much, yes. by the way. Thank you for following us. So and exciting. Keeping up. And just keep reading. Yeah. Yeah.